All right. Well, today we are essentially kind of bringing to a close our series about spiritual disciplines. And it's going to be a pretty fast, quick series or a quick sermon because we got a lot of stuff to cover. So I want you all to, to buckle in, get your pens out, get your pencils out or your iPhones or whatever to start taking notes because we're, we're going we're to get after it. We are going to do this one this morning. So as a church, we've been talking through this concept of, of thriving over surviving, like truly having a life that thrives than just a life that is merely surviving, just kind of going through the motions. We've been talking about how in our walk with Jesus, living in this broken world, we can just merely go through it and just kind of get through the next day and the next week and just kind of like, ugh. Or we can rise above that and we can truly thrive in whatever context the world throws at us. What we're saying is that, number one, it comes through the transformation of Jesus, then it comes through the Holy Spirit empowerment, but also through some core spiritual disciplines that allows you and for you to take that choice to submit yourself under who God is and to be transformed by him as you do these spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about this too. It takes some, some effort on our part, right? We don't just kind of walk through and be passive. We have to be active in the, in the act of spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to go through um, three more today. But something just as a reminder, and maybe you have noticed this even in our Bible reading plan, that whenever there's like this triumph for a character in the Bible, like let's say David and Goliath, or if it's Moses or Joshua or even, even Jesus in the desert, there is always this, you know, triumph over evil, whatever it might be. It's because these people are really rooted in spiritual disciplines. It's not just a random, like, they just happen to just stumble upon Goliath and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll do this. No, like, David was rooted in spiritual disciplines, worshiping Jesus. He was delighting in the law of the Lord. And so we have to be reminded that spiritual disciplines are key when it comes to really overcoming things. Not just a spiritual, like, here's your five steps to the best thriving life. That's part of it. But it's also, like, be empowered through the Holy Spirit to overcome things when they hit you dead on. Let's punch the devil in the stupid face and be like, get out of here, right? And that happens because we start to root ourselves in the spiritual disciplines that God has given us to, again, be changed by his goodness and his grace. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, makes it clear that we are more than conquerors. We are. And so I think we should start acting like it as Christians and not just kind of laying over. We, we are more than conquerors. And that shows out in the world in a huge difference. Not a difference of opinion of who we are, but a difference in how we carry our lives, how our emotions are carried, how our hope is carried, and our total being is carried. And it really starts as we root ourselves in those spiritual disciplines and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. But we got to do our part. God always does his part. We also got to do our part in this. That's what we're talking about. So quick recap. Spiritual disciplines. This is our definition that we've been kind of going through the last little bit, the last few weeks. Are any self-imposed habit or practice that assists us in focusing on Christ? So our core life practices, things that we do where we really focus on the truth of Jesus. We focus on that. That is like the, the end-all, be-all. It's doing things that help us focus on Christ. 
So far, we've covered these spiritual disciplines. Uh, Bible reading, spiritual journaling, humility, stewardship, serving, solitude and rest, spiritual friendships, accountability, worship, surrender, and self-examination. And today we're going to add a few more of prayer, fasting, and evangelism. And this list, it's a fairly good long list. It's not an exhaustive list. There are spiritual disciplines that we just didn't get to. Not because they're not important, just didn't get to them. So I want to say, hey, here's some great resources or a resource that I would say go forward. Number one, the Bible. Uh, but, But number two is this book. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. By Donald S. Whitney, and there's we got a picture of the book as well. This is where a lot of our conversation um, has kind of been based out of the last few weeks. I just read this a few months ago. Um, it's written a little while ago. Um, I mean, in the 90s. Sometimes it's like that seems like forever. I know. I, I, yeah. Oh man, Mark's giving me a hard time right now. For those of you who are at home and can't hear him, he's just he's laying it over me right now. Um, but it's, it's a great book and one that I would really recommend if you want to get into some more deep dive study of spiritual disciplines, a longer list, and take some time to just um, have a biblically based outlook of what those are as well. So I want to encourage you in that. Like I was saying, we're talking about um, prayer, fasting, and ev- uh, evangelism. We're going to start off with prayer. Since we're starting off with prayer, let's pray. Sound good? Let's do it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the celebration that we saw earlier today of people saying yes to you in a very public way, that they were dead in their sins, but now they are alive in Christ, in you, Lord. And so we celebrate that. We praise you in that. And um, God, again, just through your Holy Spirit, just move in this place, move through the live stream. Um, Let your words speak out, not my words, Lord. And um, we just submit all things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Spiritual discipline of prayer. Now, prayer, what we see in the Bible, is a must. It is not just like randomly mentioned in the Bible. It is continually mentioned as something that we do in the life of a a Jesus follower, that we are continually praying. I mean, Paul instructs the church to pray without ceasing. He's like, this is what you should do, pray without ceasing. To pray about all things, no matter the circumstance, big, small, whatever it is, Paul says, Pray about it. It's really a non-negotiable. So we should probably understand, well, what, what is prayer? What are we talking about? And here is a great, simple definition, that prayer is simply talking to God. You might say, well, what's, where's the theological you know, language in that? It's right here. Prayer is simply talking to God. See, God speaks mainly through his word and his Holy Spirit. We mainly talk to God through prayer. It is our way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father. And prayer is that opportunity to do that, to keep that relationship healthy. Yes, through Jesus we are saved, and through Jesus we are restored back into relationship with God. But if we don't communicate with God, we're not holding up our part. (laughs) That relationship starts to suffer, and that's on our part. God's always perfect in his part. It's us. If we start limiting our communication with God, that relationship's not going to be super strong. If you're married, you're like, yeah, we got married, but I never once then talked to my wife or my husband ever again. That would not be good. I'm just saying. Like, it would not be helpful in any relationship, right? If you just were friends with somebody and you never talked to them, they'd be like, we have a relationship? Like, what? Like, they're always like, what's going on, right? So for us as Christ followers, 
we got to be talking to God. we got to be communicating with God. Again, God never gives up on us. But if we're in a season of feeling separated or like we're drifting or like we're just not sensing God, I would say usually it comes down to how is your prayer life? Is it lacking? Is it flourishing? And most often, I'm not saying it's always like this, most often it's because your prayer life is not there. You're not communicating with your heavenly father. And so I want to encourage you in that, that prayer is a must. And it's actually expected in the life of a Christian. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus talks about prayer, he says it in the language of when you pray, or but when you pray, and as you're praying. So he's saying this in expectation of like, this is what you're doing, right? Just like when somebody says, hey, when you eat that food, because they're like, you're going to eat, right? Like you're a human, you're going to have food. Jesus has that same way of like, hey, when you pray, because that's what you're going to do. And so I want us uh, to go into the Gospel of Matthew, Um, chapter 6. We're going to read a little bit of what's happening um, and how Jesus instructs his church when it comes to prayer. Um, But there's lots of other areas within the New Testament and the Old Testament. Paul has letter after letter again that's just saying like, pray continually, pray pray without ceasing, pray about all things. Our 77-day Bible challenge, we just got through the Psalms in the life of David. Tons of prayers in there. Like, praying is something that happens constantly, and so we should be doing that. So here's what it says uh, when it comes to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And this is the words of Jesus. The context, this is the Sermon at the Mount. So Jesus is preaching to the multitudes. He's also kind of like flipping the religious elite over. He's like, hey, you guys are doing all these things, but your heart is far from God. So he's, he's hitting them full on in this sermon. And so here's what he says in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And then right after that, he goes into the section about the Lord's Prayer, which he shows as a model of how to pray. Now, something just I want to add in here when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, beautiful prayer, we, a lot of times in our culture, say, like, you got to say these words to be saved. It's not, it's, not, it's not true. Actually, in the Lord's Prayer, it's beautiful. It doesn't actually have a confession that Jesus is Lord, which is really interesting because Romans 10.9 is very clear that confess through your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The Lord's Prayer is a way to pray, but don't get all bent out of shape of like, well, that person never said those lines in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord knows the heart. And it's about a confession of who Jesus is. It's about a confession that he is Lord, right? So I wanted just to say that, just as a little side note. Sorry, a little soapbox moment. Um, so now something, too, I want to draw your attention to. For those of you who are in our in-person gathering, on our chairs, I passed out these little cards. Um, there's three of them. They're going to be vital just to this conversation. For those of you who are at home um, watching the live stream, we have these on our website. If you go to teenyfacecenter.org, resources, You'll see these three cards here. We have some more cards, too, here at the church if you need some. But I kind of got them for each of the spiritual disciplines 
that we're talking through. So prayer, fasting, and also evangelism. So what I want us to do is take what we see from Matthew chapter 6 and just apply it to this discipline of prayer. And what we learn from Jesus and how he models how to pray in his life of prayer is this. Prayer should be private, it should be genuine, and it should be regular. Those are things that he models and that he actually teaches. Should be private, should be genuine, should be regular. Now, we, we still pray in groups. I'm not saying like you can never pray in a group. That's not the heart here. But what he's saying is like, hey, you should be continually praying in your own private life. It's not just for show. It's not just for like when you're with a group of people and you're like, oh, I got to show that I'm holy and all this stuff. No, it should be something that you're doing within your own private life. We're also not trying to quote every Victorian age word. You know, thou hast given this young wanderer the, the, the things that I needed. No, just, just, be, just be you. Just, just pray. Just pray as if you were talking to God, right? It's got to be genuine. And then just do it on the regular. Something that's just a part of your routine. And so uh, for that card, the pray card, it's, it's an acronym. This is kind of the, the how, the how part of, of praying. Maybe we just talked about through the what and the why. Um, this is more of the how. And this is a great model that we've adopted from our rooted material that we do as a church through our small groups and things like that. Um, they have this acronym. It's something I've been using for the last eight or so years, and I love it. It just keeps it just there and helps me just kind of have a good form and function. That's for me. I'm not saying this is for you, but at least I want to say, hey, this works for me. It might work for you as well. And so it's the acronym P-R-A-Y. P stands for praise God. So when you, when you start praying, praise God. Worship him. Give him praise. Give him thanks. We just saw people saying publicly, I, I'm all in for Jesus. Like, praise God in that, right? The R is repent. This is this moment where you can say, all right, Lord, like there's some things in my life that are not lining up. I need to repent of those things. This also harkens back to other spiritual disciplines like self-examination, surrender, you're practicing those as well during this prayer model. You're saying, Lord, I need to turn from these things in my life. They don't honor you, so you have a moment to repent. Then you have ask. A is ask. This is like those prayer requests where you can start petitioning God and asking God for things. And a great way to also just kind of help this be holistic is kind of start small and then build out, build out, build out. So like start maybe with some stuff in your own life, like, hey, Lord, this is what's going on in my own life. Can you help me in this area, that area? Then maybe like your family, your friends. Then maybe it's your community. Maybe it's your workplace. Then it's like your city, the nation, the world. Like start small and then just grow and go bigger and bigger and bigger when you are in that ask area of praying. And then why is yield? This is a moment where you just stop and you just be with Jesus. You just have something turned off, no music maybe, um, nothing in the background, and just yield. Just quiet your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. To maybe reveal some things in your own life. To again, practice those other spiritual disciplines of solitude and again, self-examination, like all those things. So this model of prayer helps the other disciplines also be a part of your life to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. So again, prayer, it's private, it's genuine and, re and regular. And like the old um, saint, MC Hammer said, we got to pray just to make it today. And I believe that, right? 
we got to pray just to make it today. Um, he's not a saint, not at all. Anyway, uh, all right, attached to prayer is fasting. Um, what's interesting, too, is in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus just goes right on down into fasting because they are definitely related, prayer and fasting. So fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting, is something that is also expected, as we're going to see in the language that Jesus is teaching in that Sermon on the Mount. So I want to go now to chapter 6 of Matthew, where we were at, but go down to verse 16, and this is what Jesus says. And when you fast, again, there's that language, that expectation language, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So fasting is also expected in the life of a Christian. It is a practice that's really not common. Maybe we've heard about it, but more in the way of like, here's this new fasting diet trend, get that beach bod. Or like, I gotta have surgeries, I gotta fast. You know, we kind of always see it like in this way to like not have food and to like lose weight and stuff. It's not the heart here. We're talking about a different way of fasting. And so here is a definition um, that's actually from that book that I suggested earlier. And it says, fasting can be defined as the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting is not a means of getting what we want from God. Fasting as a spiritual discipline refocuses us back to Jesus, back to our need for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and that's what spiritual disciplines are. It's about refocusing back to who Jesus is. So fasting helps that really occur in a very intense way. So fasting, a lot of times what we see in the Bible is abstaining from food. That was the normal function for sure back then, and I would say it's the normal function for our culture right now. Have you ever said the word, I'm hangry? Yes, I think we do. We understand that, like, when I don't get food in this belly, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not there, you know? <laughs> like, we, we need food to live. We need calories and all those things. And so when we deny that, it kind of is painful. It's a little uncomfortable. It's that normal function that we say no to so that we can then take that energy and focus it back on Jesus. But why deny the need? It's, again, to be fully dependent and focused on God. It's an act of humility saying, Lord, you are my fulfillment. Not my own desires, but you are Jesus. And you open your heart and your mind to his Holy Spirit to work and to reveal things about who he is in whatever situation that you're going through. Now, something that's clear also from Scripture is the act of fasting is not holy in itself. By just denying something doesn't make it holy. It's about the heart. In Isaiah 50, uh, 58, God reprimands the nation of Israel who were fasting, but they were, their heart was far from him. They were doing their own thing still. They, they weren't eating food and doing this, but they weren't actually focusing on God. He says, whoa, you, you are missing it big time. So fasting, it's about the heart motive. It's not about just not eating food or not doing this. 
It's about the heart motive. It's again saying, God, you are my fulfillment. You alone fill me up. It's not, again, just denying the need. It's redirecting that back to Jesus. Fasting always includes, throughout Scripture, meditation on Scripture and prayer. It's not just denying something. It's also filling that time up with reading God's Word, praying, and really seeking the Lord in all things. It's always centered around that. Because we are denying a needed function so that we can focus on our greatest need, which is Jesus. It is so important to not lose sight of the why of fasting, or it just becomes, again, a diet fad. It's meditating on Scripture. And something I just learned recently, this word meditate, when used in the Old Testament, it's the same word they use when like an animal, like a bear or a dog, like gnaws on food and just is like, that's the word they use to meditate on Scripture. It's to take it in and to just like, like, I don't know how the sound should be made because it might sound weird or gross in the microphone, but it's truly just digging in to the Word of God and just, it's an active thing. It's not passive. It's active. And we see that played out um, in the desert with Jesus. He's tempted by the, by the devil. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. The devil says, hey, turn that stone into some bread. Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, right? The bread of life. You get these like analogies of food, meditating on it, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. There's connections there. Maybe we should really focus on filling our, our hearts and our souls up with the bread of life. Meditate, just gnawing on it so it's truly filling us up, right? So when you're fasting, we always have meditation on scripture and prayer as being a part of what we're doing. Now, there's lots of reasons to fast. And so on um, this document, uh, or this little uh, piece of cardstock, and again, it's on our website, we have some of these listed and with some scriptures and things like that. Um, but here's what we see from Scripture. This is, again, not an exhaustive list, but just good direction theologically. You can fast to humble yourself before God, to intercede for God's people, the commissioning of elders or leaders, seeking the Lord for wisdom, repentance, confession of sin, for healing, petitioning of God, to receive a word from God, to have spiritual deliverance or breakthrough. And we're going to leave these up for a while. So if you want to write down notes in the scriptures attached to them, you totally can. But like what was said in Matthew 6, it's about humility. It's really about secrecy in, in some part of it too when you're fasting that people don't really know that you're doing that. It's a private matter that you fast. Yes, there are corporate fasts and scripture gives direction to that. But it's all about the heart motive. You might ask, well, does it have to be a certain length and this? It's all over the map, to be honest with you. There isn't a one way or right way to fast. It could be a day. It could be two days. It could be 40 days. Try it. It may work for you. <laughs> I think only Jesus and Moses were the only ones to go 40 days. Maybe, maybe Paul. I'm just free willing right now. But it's not easy. Let's just say that. You need supernatural abilities, which the Holy Spirit can do. Let's just say that. Um, so it's all over the map for how long to fast. But again, it's personal. It's a heart thing. So seek the Lord. Ask the Lord, how should fasting be a part of my life? How should fasting be in what I do as a normal function of my Christian life? 
It's a great spiritual practice that, again, gives us that intense spiritual activity. I know in my own life, um, fasting isn't like a normalized thing. I do fast, but I would love for it to be more frequent um, as a pastor, as a leader in ministry. But one significant time um, in fasting, it was actually five or six years ago, Mark had approached me about moving out here to take this position as associate pastor. I was a youth pastor in Spokane, loving where I was at. Um, my wife and I were comfortable where we were at, and we got approached, and we we're like, whoa, like, we're 50-50. Like, this is both good. Like, what do we do? Because we know that, like, not that a decision could be bad. This was one of those, like, these are both good. We just wanted to follow the Lord's leading, and we we're like, oh, we should do that fasting thing. <laughs> we're like, yeah, let's do that. And so we fasted for a couple of days, and what was so cool is at the end of that, my wife and I came together just to share, like, what the Lord has been sharing, you know, in our own time. We had the same Bible verse, y'all. There's a lot of Bible verses. I don't know the exact amount. There's a lot. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I guess God does stuff. <laughs> he speaks to you when you're obedient and you, like, submit yourselves to him. And uh, the answer was yes. Obviously, we're out here, and we love it, and we love being out here as associate pastor. And, and, but it was a, an opportunity just to, again, deny some normal functions, to have this more intense spiritual activity and to be transformed and renewed um, by what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives as Christ followers. So a next step, maybe, for you is to ask yourself, why don't I fast? Just ask yourself, like, why, why don't I fast? Or what do I need to fast for? Just ask those questions to yourself. To kind of just, you know, hey, it's your life. It's supposed to be private, you know, like when it comes to fasting. So just ask yourself, between you and the Lord, hey, what, what should I fast for? How long should it be? And then just do it. Just go for it. Um, and I think, I think the Lord will honor you in that step of obedience. All right, you with me so far? We doing good? All right, I know we're kind of like clipping through on stuff. Um, our next one we're going to be talking about is evangelism. Evangelism. Now, it's going to be a little shorter, not because it's not important. It's really like super important <laughs> to tell people about, about Jesus, but because it's so straightforward um, in why we should evangelize and why we should carry out the spiritual practice of evangelism. Now, this is the last command of Jesus. It's in Matthew 28, in Acts chapter 1. He says, hey, like, go. Like, now, like, you got to go and share the truth about who I am, the hope that, is, that there is in me. Like, go out there and do this, right? And, but I love how Paul puts this in just how he does in his great poetic language. In his church, to the, to the uh, church in Rome, he says this in Romans chapter 10, really about evangelism, starting in, in verse 14. He says, but how can they, that's like the world, people without Jesus, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? So he's like, they have to believe in who Jesus is, but how can they do that if they don't hear about him, right? So how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And that's back to a prophecy in Isaiah. He's just saying, like, people can't believe unless they're told about Jesus. So go evangelize, right? He's just kind of making it so, like, just cut and dry, which is kind of his style. And so the spiritual discipline of, of evangelism is a must for any believer. doesn't matter if you feel like you are gifted or not. We're just told throughout Scripture to go and share the message of hope. doesn't matter 
who we think we are, how powerful we are, not powerful, how much influence, whatever it is, it's pretty clear, Scripture says, go. And what the, the beautiful thing of it is, is the Holy Spirit empowers us to go. It's not that we have to have it all figured out and have a Bible degree and this and this and this. No, the Holy Spirit leads us in these times to just share Jesus with other people. Again, it's very, very clear in Scripture that the Spirit does the work. We are the messengers. We are the ones who just go out. We're the, we're the feet. We're the good feet. The good feet store. No, we're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the good feet, the messengers that bring good news, that go out and share about Jesus. Humans are also drawn to story. We love a good story, right? We, we, we gravitate to story. We all have a story to share. We all have a story of how God has transformed us through his son. Let's share that. Let's share that with other people. And so on this last card, it's called Bless. It's really a missional way to evangelize. It's another acronym. And this may take a ton of time to use this acronym thing. might be instant. But we're just called to share and be missional with the people that we're in relationship with or that are around us. The first step is this. Begin with prayer. Be praying for people that you're in relationship with. Be praying for them. Like, kind of cultivate the ground in prayer. That you're saying, hey, Lord, like, I want to I share your hope with this person. Like, go before me. Like, make the ground soft for this harvest, right? The next one is L, which is listen. Be a listener. Don't just be a person who just talks, 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 talks. Like, be a listener. Gain that relational currency with that person. Be a listener. The, la- the next one is E, which is eat. I know during COVID time, you're like, how do you do that? Well, you can be creative. Essentially, it's gain relationship. Like, do something that is relational with that person. It might be going hunting. It might be working on a car. It might be doing a craft or some art. A lot of us do like to bond over breaking bread, just having a cup of coffee or eating. But do something that you are just with them, in life with. Then it's serve, serve them. Serve them without hesitation. It's not to get something out of it. Just serve them. That's what we're called to do, right? That spiritual discipline that we talked about a few weeks ago, we're called to serve. The Lord works through that. And then the last S is to share your story. And I put in parentheses, Jesus is always the hero. When, when, you, when you share your story, sometimes it's not out of like this, uh, like oh, I'm king or whatever. It's just naturally we say, hey, man, like I came to a point in my life where I realized that I was, you know, doing this wrong. I, 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 just, need, I just need to get right. And it's like this I language, but we should always put the language of Jesus revealed to me or Jesus through his Holy Spirit convicted me and Jesus through his grace transformed me. Just as a word of advice, like always put Jesus as the hero when you're sharing your story. I'm on a five-year journey right now using this method with uh, my neighbor. Love the dude. We hang out. We do stuff. We're, we're, just, we're in relationship. We've talked about Jesus. I've shared my story. He shared his story. I don't know how his heart's exactly doing, but hey, I know that there's transformation taking place, and God is watering that seed, Right? So it might happen today. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Like, it's just this part of this process. Do not give up on it. It's not a, like you go through the thing and then you're done. No, it, it is continual in this process. 
I also want to say it's, it's not about a number. It's not about how many people you save or lead to the Lord. It's truly about just sharing a message of hope. Might be one person. You might never experience a person coming to faith, but there are these spiritual seeds that are always planted, and they will, they will harvest when they harvest. Scripture is clear that God is in charge of that. We're just called to be faithful and to share the hope of Jesus. We're called to be obedient in this process and trust God in the process. This, in turn, puts us again in this thriving position because we're relying on the Holy Spirit during all these things, prayer, fasting, evangelism. That's transforming. That, again, gives us this place of thriving in life. We're seeing new life being formed. When people say yes to Jesus as well, it's, uh, it's super exciting. This is a way that we can truly thrive because we're also experiencing the other spiritual disciplines as we're going around, not only sharing our faith, but man, when you're getting ready to share your faith with somebody, you're usually praying a lot. You might be reading your Bible a little bit. You might be fasting. You might be like incorporating some other spiritual disciplines. Like it's all connected. It's all connected in how we're living our life as Christ followers. And I believe we are called to bring life to this world. We're the messengers, a life that is thriving. Something I was reminded of too recently is in the story of Jesus before he feeds the multitudes with the fishes and the loaves. There's thousands of people. They're tired from life, Jesus and his disciples. They get off the boat and Jesus sees the multitudes. He has compassion on them. He has compassion. And I think that always convicts me of like, man, do I have compassion on people? Am I just sometimes just like, whatever. But what we see Jesus' model is he has compassion for the world. Do I look at the people who need Jesus and get angry? Well, they have this political thought. They have this thought. They have this, blah, blah, blah. Or do I look at them with compassion of saying they, they need hope. They need Jesus. They need transformation. So are we looking when it comes to not only evangelism, but just our lives as Christian, with compassion on people. I believe the transformation in us is what transforms others. They see that. I, I don't, I've yet to hear of somebody being transformed through a political art, article being shared on Facebook. I truly have yet to experience that. It might happen. The Lord can work through mysterious ways. But what we see happening in Scripture and what Paul says is it's the transformation of our hearts that is attractive to people. And they say, well, there's something different. That person has hope. That person has joy. That person has peace. Like, what is different about that person? And that's that gospel-centered hope that we have in Jesus. Now, our next steps for all three of these things is what I want to do. And then we're going to close in prayer, and we're going to see another next step of a person being baptized. Yes. It's going to be super fun. Um, is this. So for prayer... A 24-hour prayer challenge. You're like, wait, what does that mean? Here's what I mean by this. In the month of February, pray for 24 hours. So however, like, however you want to do it, it's about an hour a day. There's 28 days in February. If I remember from kindergarten, that's how you do it. You do like the whole knuckle thing, like what days have 31, what days don't, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure it's 28 days in February. So 24 hours, maybe an hour a day. Do it, try it, go for it, attempt it. If you don't make it, who cares? At least you're praying. Like, just go for it, right? 24 hours of prayer. We're not going to do a big church-wide campaign. This is going to be personal because 
Jesus says, hey, this is your own thing. Like, make it something, right? So this is on you. 24 hours. Pray in the month of February. For fasting, seek the Lord and just do it. Like, just, just, just go for it, right? Just ask the Lord those questions like, why am I not fasting or what should I fast for? And just go for it. For evangelism, um, start that BLESS acronym with, with someone or don't give up um, on the relationship that you're sharing with, right? Just, just keep at it. Just keep praying for those people and, and make that work. Sound good?